Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Andrew McCarthy has been on a long journey. At 22, he was a rising young movie star with the requisite good looks and talent. Love, You know what love is? Love is an illusion created by lawyer types like yourself to perpetuate another illusion called marriage, to create the reality of divorce and the illusionary need for divorce lawyers. After playing a sullen writer in St. Elmo's Fire, he woke up one morning to discover he and his co-stars were members of something New York Magazine called the Brat Pack. Love sucks. It was news to him. And like it or not, from then on, he was permanently linked to that cynical symbol of 80s self-indulgence. Fortunately for us, this was only one stop on Andrew McCarthy's journey. McCarthy discovered that traveling the world was the perfect antidote to the fame and exposure that came with his acting career. He has spent much of the last decade writing about his experiences in distant and exotic lands. He has a book out called The Longest Way Home, One Man's Quest for the Courage to Settle Down. Many people travel to escape and disconnect, but Andrew McCarthy, who turns 50 later this month, credits his solo adventures with ushering him into adulthood. Well, I'm known for my youth, yeah. yeah. No, not your best movies, but I mean your most well-known movies were this spade of movies you did when you were a young, young leading man. What's it like for you to turn 50? Well, it's on that level, it's a weird thing because though that success in those movies of being a boy defined my adulthood. So it's a weird thing to outgrow youth. And so if you outgrow the success that came with youth, what do you carry forward? So it's an interesting dilemma or uh, position. So, I mean, on a personal level, it's hard to separate those two things because mm-hmm. I'm so much an outgrowth as you are, I suppose, but you're, but you're carries forward in a more sort of current way. But I'm such a result of that kind of early fame. For me, I went and did TV, and for you, I would say, that was there for you too. You took this other path what led you to do that? What led you to do what you're doing now 
in terms of its relationship to your acting career? It was a total accidental thing. I had no intention of becoming a travel writer. or. Right, you didn't? No, not so at all. So this wasn't a case where you were sitting there and as the... Alex, worthy- there's been no plan ever at any point, okay? So, <laughs> no, when I was a young actor, I stumbled into these movies and suddenly I'm in the Brad Pack and suddenly I'm this kind of an actor, which I'm like, well, wait, that's not the kind of actor I wanted to be, but those were the movies I was in suddenly, and so that was my career trajectory, which is interesting because there was no hands on the wheel then, really. I was just reacting to situations. So when I did What begin, was that like? Well, that was... Describe how you felt back then. Fame, money, success, movies, which are the most intoxicating of all, actually. Well, movies are much more intoxicating and much more um, like royalty than television is. You know, as you know, it's, it's movie and movies, people relate to differently when you're in movies than they do when you're on television. Sure. There's a certain familiarity on television that people assume, but in movies, you, there's, there's an awe that people have. I think it's dissipated now to some degree because everything is so watered down and interchangeable. But when we started, particularly, you know, you did TV when your career was over, and sure. now that's not the case at all. Yeah. So describe how you felt when you were blazing. I mean, it was a wondrous, wonderful, uh, confusing time, I think. But I, again, I, I didn't have any real consciousness of like, okay, I just did a movie about a mannequin. Now let me do one about a drug addict. I mean, it was just like that was what came next. I had a certain desperate quality of like, I just have to keep going. And and those movies, you have to remember, were not that successful at the time and did, weren't respected and sort of iconic the way they've become now. Le- only later, because I think of, of VCR and people were able to suddenly take those movies home, uh, whereas a generation before they couldn't. I think that's what made those movies so successful because suddenly young people who were the people who were renting movies when VHS came to the fore in the mid-80s could take us home and watch us 10, 15 times and take ownership in a certain way that was never possible before. So then you're, you're locked in that moment in time. Too. Did you feel that those films were a genre of film while you were making them? Did they I just become they a genre? they were less... Um, Substantive. Substantive than some other movies, yeah. I mean, although now you look back and, you know, they're still, you know, if we said we would have been still talking about Pretty in Pink 25 years later. Now they're Orson Welles films compared to what's being made (laughs) now. It's crazy. Now they're like... uh, uh, But they did, you know, they did capture something about, they took seriously that (laughs) dilemma of being very self-centered and young. That was wonderfully important. What was the most, because you are a very bright guy and you've always seemed like a very bright guy on film and very thoughtful. When you go back and you look at it from your perspective now, you're older, what were the most rewarding parts of your career when you were making films, you know, when you were younger? Well, I worked with Claude Chabrol in a couple films in France, and I, that was a real uh, powerful experience. I, I, you, well, I'd like to know your opinion, but I haven't worked with very many good directors. There are very few good directors, you know, and so that was one. He was what made one. Chabrol good for you? Um, he just had a vision. He had his own vision. He wasn't interested in other people's ideas of what his film should be like. He had real passion and vision, and he had a unique point of view on what film was and what his relationship to it was and what he wanted to create on screen and what he wanted me to be doing in his film. He had a real, that sort of French auteur kind of, this is my film, this is what I want you to do. I'm like, why do you want me to do it that way? He goes, because I prefer and I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know? uh-huh. And he, he had such and he had such appreciation for me. I felt quite appreciated by him. So that allowed me to trust him and, and he trusted me and enjoyed me. You know, I think a lot of directors are afraid of actors, so they don't enjoy them and they don't enjoy the process, you know, that actors go through. So there's it becomes this adversarial or at best sort of business like relationship. Very yeah. tense, yeah. But one one of my favorite moments recently was I went back and I downloaded on my computer 
the um, Stanley Kubrick documentary, Life in Pictures. And there's this wonderful moment in when Matthew Modine says, for they're getting to that part of Kubrick's career where he did Full Metal Jacket. And uh, Matthew talks about how, you know, he was walking around angsting over, what does Stanley want? What does Stanley want? And he said that Kubrick pulled up in a car with people like on the way to the set and goes, what are you doing, Matthew? And he goes, <laughs> Matthew Modine says, I'm trying to figure out what you want. I, I can't get a grip on what it is you want. And he said that Stanley Kubrick looked at me and goes, oh, God, no, I don't want you to do that. He goes, oh, it's very simple. I want you to have a good time. I want you to enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah. But that's giving him such great respect oh, and bestowing that on the actors that suddenly the actor relaxes. And when an actor's relaxed, they can do their which work. Is, which is an art that I think many directors now, A, don't have the ability to do and B, feel almost resentful that they have to do it. Like the biggest directors I've ever worked with, like Mike Nichols, who I had a very small role with. But Nichols was someone who in that brief time I had with him in the movie Working Girl, what I always would love was him taking that moment to go, hey, it's going to be okay. Just relax. I picked you for a reason and you're going to do this thing for me. And the great ones and the good ones want to do whatever it takes to open that channel of communication with you so we can get the job done. Because we're not going to get it done if you and I aren't communicating. Yeah, well, they don't need to exert their power and demonstrate that they're in charge right. in any way. They, they simply are, and then they want, yeah, to bring out the best in you for their own purposes. Other you know. than Chabral, who did you like? I, I like most of them, you know. I liked working with Ted Kotcheff. I thought Ted was kind of crazy. We did Weekend at Bernie's together. Ted was kind of crazy and screaming and a madman. But I really, I got that. I enjoyed that. He liked me, you know, so he'd be screaming, and then he'd just turn and wink at me. And I'd be like, oh, you know, I was on the inside then. You know, when you feel like you're inside and a partner to a director, you will do what they want you to do. Yeah, if they you make know? you understand. If they empower you to that and, you know, f feel like you're in the process. You know, I find many directors just stand behind the box because they don't really understand actors. They just want them to get it done so they can move on and get their next shot. And that's just like, the hell with you. Yeah. Go stand behind your box. I'll yeah. get it. Yeah. yeah. Now, what about actors? And you've worked with a gallery of very well-known people. And what were some of them that you really, uh, it was a joy for you and a positive experience to work alongside them? Uh, I really liked working with John Malkovich. Uh, I just did a very small thing with him in a, in a movie called um, Mulholland Falls, but I, I liked watching the way he worked. He had no ownership of anything. He just did completely different things in each take. I'd go, that was fantastic when you did that thing, and, but it was no good technically, and you, you did something else the next time. He goes, that's the movies. It doesn't matter. It's the movies. He, it doesn't matter. How Brando-esque of him. <laughs> but he had no... But that's what's gr a wonderful thing about movie acting, good movie acting. There's no ownership of it. The moment's passing right by, and you sort of catch it as it's flying past. I mean, that's why I, I think good movie actors... I like the ones that don't rehearse. I, I love to rehearse in the theater, but in the movies, I never want to rehearse. I want to get right to the point and then, okay, yeah, yeah, now let's roll. So that when you, you jump, there's that look in the eye and it's that discovery on camera. I don't want to be recreating well, on camera. Well, I'll tell you that what's happened to me, and it's only gotten worse as the result of uh, doing this television show, is that I've become so technical that's an asset in a certain way. I know lots of actors that are afraid of the technical part of movie making, and I think the more an actor knows about the technical part of movie making, the more. But you direct. It is. Yeah. And when did you start directing? Ten years ago. And why? 
because I worked with so many bad ones. I thought <laughs> seriously. <laughs> uh, I just became the older. Is that, I've gotten, is that an honest answer? That, that somewhat, was part of it? but the older I've gotten, the more interested I am in the whole story, <laughs> and the less interested I am in you know how my hair is. You know, I'm less. I'm happy to watch someone else do it. Is my theory? No, I am. <laughs> I'm like, I'm interested in producing. Like, I'll say, the, the people say, don't you want to be in it? And I go, mm, no, not really. No, see, I'm not sure. I have no interest in producing. I, but the, I like the director. I like the idea of the whole story and being responsible for that and keeping all that in my head. And I like, you and I could have like a great it. company together, by the way. Two cynical actors, <laughs> one who has no desire to direct, the other has no desire to produce. I could produce your films. Is it cynical or is it just sort of... Uh, Seasoned. But, but, yeah, that's the nice word. But I like the idea of directing as being something that I'm doing and applying all the things that I know and have learned, whereas acting, it's still very much me focused. And I, the older I get, I find self-consciousness still shrouds me at times and with directing there's none of that I'm never nervous or anxious when I'm directing I never have any kind of sense of internal sort of doubts and failings I'm like well this is what I have to do I have to get this shot I have to get that I have to make sure you know so it's it's a skill that I'm applying and I've worked with a hundred directors so I know what works what doesn't I know as an actor when I'm behaving in a certain way it usually means this. So when I see an actor behaving that way, I just go up and go, oh, he doesn't know his lines. Okay, listen, John, I'm just going to oh. do the first, the first line from the setup. And then suddenly he's charming again. You know, yeah, he relaxes. Because it's very cool you know, I have all those actor defenses, so I know them when I see them. How are you directing women? That's an art, I think. Well, directing women is a different thing because it's, you know, but largely it's flirt and appreciate. Flirt and appreciate. What a sexist thing of you to say. Well, anytime people is, feel um, sexually attractive, they relax. Yeah, and they guys, do. too. If I flirt with a particular guy, then he likes it, too. But other guys, guys I don't flirt with, guys, I just sort of... I flirt with the guys more than the women. <laughs> it's less dangerous. Um, I say, God, you're handsome. <laughs> but I, I, I say that, too. But then they laugh and they relax. When people <laughs> laugh, if people laugh, they relax. And they like you then. And then they go, okay. I can. And what you, I try and do is, you, I forget who taught it to me, is it? I remember Robert Redford taught it to me. I did. I worked at Sundance a million years ago, and he noticed detail of behavior right away. And so when I saw that he noticed my detail of behavior, I knew he was paying attention. When I act as director to an actor, I will, I will notice their details. And so then they know, oh, he's watching. So then they show up. Brando had that great thing, and he used to say, you know, if I work with a new director, the first day I'll do the real deal, and I'll sort of fake it. And if he can't tell the difference, I write the movie off. Yeah, wow. But I mean, that was Marlon Brando. He said those kind of yeah. things. He was a, he was a, he was a ninja. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know he was on a different but, level than the rest of us. But he also said that great thing that acting is really just ultimately this childish kind of behavior. That, um, you know, I think I have somewhat of an ag agreement with that to a certain way. There's a certain shame I feel. Well, if I'm directing and I am auditioning a middle-aged man and he comes in and reads his scene for me, I just feel so, a certain embarrassment for them. Why? I just feel... I hate the hat-in-hand feeling that actors go through. I hate it. I hate being it. I, when I have to do it, I hate that hat-in-hand feeling. And I hate when people have to do it for me. I, I just, I've recently been doing a lot of press for this book. And so I see a lot of clips of me when I'm very young. They throw them up on the TV. And I see that young, youthful, wide-eyed passion for it. And the guy eye. working hard. Yeah. When and, we're younger, and, and we work hard. And loving it. And yeah. loving it. And the yeah. acting may be dubious, but I mean that you couldn't deny or look away from the thrill that I'm getting to do this and we're yeah. doing it together and it's yeah. so good. And that was what was attractive about what I had to offer when I was a kid. Is your passion for acting less? Well, it's waxed and waned over the years for sure. And I found, you know, it's a complicated question for me to answer because if I were as successful as I might have wanted to be as time has gone on, would it have waned? I don't know. Or is it just a mask for disappointment? 
But on the other hand, um, when you say if you, you know, were successful as you wanted, but you were very successful. Yes, no, I was very successful when I was young, and then as time has gone on, I've been, I haven't gotten the opportunity to do movies and certain things that I would have wanted to do, so then my interest has waned, but would it have waned had I been doing those but movies? But the question is, did you want to Which do came them? First? Well, that's, also, that's, a, that's a bigger question, you know, and part what of me did not. do you think the answer not. is? Part of me did not. Right. You know? You're not doing that because it's a party that didn't want to. And that's been very, uh, that's been something I've been slow to accept. You know, and uh, but it's a good, valid point. You know, but again, I was in the theater the other day in uh, in Ireland. I was just there, and I watched this Tom Murphy play, and I went, God, I'd like to be playing the part that guy's playing. I haven't felt that in years, and I, I was thrilled to feel that again, to feel that like I'd like, he's very good, but I could do that part. Yeah. And I rarely feel that, you know, to, yeah. to feel that kind of jazz again. Because to my core and at essence, and initially, what I am and how I locate myself is as an actor. Who's someone you really liked directing? Well, I mean, I, I have only directed uh, so theater and stuff. I directed Dana Delaney in a play, which I thought she was a, a delight. You know, she's I, I like a nimble sort of actor, you know, and I like one that actually is interested in well, You direct the TV too, right? Yeah, and when I do TV, I do a lot of that show Gossip Girl. And I, I particularly liked working with Ed Westwick. I thought he was really interested in... Input and I would suggest things to him, and he would just take that idea and do the idea, and then go, "Oh, and then I'll do this." And I go, "That's exact. Take what I take offer you, and now just make it and bring. You know, don't just do what I tell you. Now take it, you know, and then create your own thing with it." And I like that feeling. You just sort of offer, nudge them in a direction, then off they go, and they discover it, and you're like, yeah. oh, "I'm a genius," you know. Yeah. I mean, and I just a- like working with the crew, particularly too. I like to create more than almost more than any actors working with a crew because if you can engage a crew, they're suddenly leaning forward and they're coming to me with ideas. It's like the craft service dude suddenly come in and go, you know, it's really cool when he does that. And I'm like, that's a really good idea. I'm glad I thought of it. You know what I mean? As opposed <laughs> to guys who I'll take the just, good ideas wherever they come from. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And that was something Chabrol taught me because he'd love an idea from anybody and he co-opted and took it as his own. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. 
Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm talking with actor Andrew McCarthy about what motivated him to leave comfort and safety behind and to chronicle his solo travels in his new memoir, The Longest Way Home, One Man's Quest for the Courage to Settle Down. What's your relationship been to travel since you were young? Did your family travel a lot? No, we went, I grew up in Jersey. We went down the Jersey Shore for one week of summer. What'd your dad do? He structured tax shelters and all sorts of various mysterious things. You're like a Bain Capital guy. <laughs> not no, quite. No, I think no, he aspired no. to that. Um, but we did not travel. Travel came into my life later. But when I discovered travel, it was the same thing that happened to me when I discovered acting. I discovered acting when I was, I think, 15. I was in, I was the Artful Dodger and Oliver in high school. And that changed my life in the way that that Tennessee Williams line, I'm misquoting a room that would have always been half in the dark was suddenly in the light. That kind of, that was my experience when I first acted. It was like, oh my God, there I am. Wow. And... I've, it was done. There was never a discussion. Would I be an actor? There was no thought. There was no nothing. That, that was what was happening to me. And that's what happened. And I had no idea how it would happen. I just sort of knew that it would happen. And then I'd go to college sort of, and then I'd be in the movies. And that's what happened. There was no plan after that, but uh, that's where I got into trouble. But, and when I began to travel, it was this, a similar sensation of not travel for work, which is an entirely different insulated experience of getting picked up, going sure. all And that's, um, and, and never enjoying or experiencing well, the I always did. I loved being away, you know, in locations and things. But, I mean, travel to me was not vacation and not sort of work. Travel to me is sort of something you go do alone and you go off into the world and you make yourself vulnerable into the world. It's not going to the spot. How me. so? Although, well, I, the first time I traveled to change my life in the same way that acting did, I walked across the Camino de Santiago in Spain. It's 500 miles across the north of Spain, and I was like, I'd never hiked, I'd never backpacked. I read a book about it, and suddenly I went and did it. And something just told me to do that, and so I went and did it, and that changed my life. That sort of, I've located myself. What was myself. that? It was 93. God, almost 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago, yeah. And so that changed my life, doing that, and I, I felt myself again if in a full way, in the way that I had stopped, felt less and less in diminishing returns in acting. And What happened to you on that trip? Well, I just sort of had a, one of those sort of comical classic breakdowns where I had a weeping fit in the field of wheat and sort of in a moment of clarity discovered I was ruled by fear, really. And that fear had been so dominating my life, which was such a, is a strange thing for an actor and someone who's very public and all that kind of stuff. And, that, and so the minute you're aware of something, it begins to change. And so that's, that started to change for me. And so I traveled more and, uh, between jobs. So if I didn't have a job by, say, November, you know you're not going to get one before Thanksgiving and Christmas. So those last two months of every year, I would go travel. I'd go down to Southeast Asia. I'd go to Africa, like buy a ticket into Cape Town and a ticket for two months later. You went by yourself or did alone. you travel with no, someone? I'm alone. When, oh, I would always oh, go you, alone. You say that, <laughs> the way you say, oh, no, 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 no. no, no. no. Well, Please, dear with boy. You, no, no, if I travel with you, we're going to have a nice experience. We're going to have fun, but we're going to have our experience of each other. And there's a certain safety, it, you know, illusionary maybe, but we're going to have a feeling of safety and camaraderie. So by design, you do it alone. By design, I did it alone, yeah, because I think you can You still do it alone that way. I do, yeah. Now, mostly for, almost always for writing assignments. But right. I rarely get to travel the way I did 
then because I have kids, and so you can't travel for two months alone just wandering around. How many kids do you have? Two. How old are they? Ten and six. Do you really? Yeah. So and traveling now, so so where where you went across the Camino in Spain 20 years ago, you had a 10-year period before you had children. Were you traveling? Was yeah, that was a very traveling. aggressive time you were traveling? Yeah, very much so. And what are some of the more memorable, pick two, let's say, like the Camino, which was the, well, the I, dawning, I followed, let's say. I followed a girl down to Singapore. I knew her here, and she worked down in Singapore, and she said, why don't you come down and you know visit me in Singapore? And I could read between the lines, so I went down to Singapore for a very nice yeah. weekend. And then someone said, while you're going to Singapore, while you're in that part of the world, you ought to go to... Uh, Anchor Wat. I was like, Anchor Wat? What's that? Anchor Wat? Okay. And so I went to Anchor Wat. And I've, you know, you hear people talk all the time about, oh, you should have been there 20 years ago. You know, I was at Anchor Wat 20 years ago. <laughs> you should and have I can seen tell you, Anchor Wat, the you old should have been Anchor there Wat. 20 years ago. Yeah, it was it's amazing. It's like Soho. And now it's a big boutique now. <laughs> exactly. The old Anchor Wat was great. Uh, yeah. So whatever. Coffee so, shops. Exactly artists. right. And so that's, you've <laughs> been there, obviously, me. recently. No, I haven't. <laughs> Why was that a great trip? Well, it was just one of those things where I just stepped out into the world, and the world meets you. You know, you go make yourself vulnerable to the world, and the world sort of receives you. That's my experience. You know, the world is a much safer, more welcoming place than we are led to believe by our politicians. And uh, so that was been my, that's been my discovery. And I find when you ask for help, I mean, I'm that guy in New York or at home where I will never ask for directions. I'm like, don't turn on the GPS. We'll find it. We'll find it. I'm fine. You know, but when I travel, the first thing I do is I go, hi, can, can you help me? And the minute you say, can you help me? You are, you go, whoosh, you shrink back to being a right-sized. You know what I mean? You make yourself vulnerable to the world. And that is a good thing, in my opinion. And the more I sort of so it's a weird, empowering thing. I, I, I ran from acting because I felt vulnerable, and yet I go out into the world and I feel vulnerable. I open myself up and feel vulnerable in a more powerful way. You know, that's an authentic sort of vulnerability in the way that connects me to you. You know, and so that is of interest to me. And so, anyway, travel changed my life in that way. So then I eventually just started writing about it. When did that begin? Well, I, I, I tried to keep a journal, and I thought, and I was not good at journaling. Journaling seemed to me silly and self-indulgent, and it was just stupid. I read yeah. it and I was embarrassed by my journals. But I met a guy, you know, one time a kid, I was in Hanoi, uh, Saigon, and this kid pulled up and wanted to give me a ride on his scooter. And so I spent the day with him on the back of his scooter going around and he gave me a tour. And I went back to my hotel and wrote it down. Because, you know, when you're traveling alone, particularly, you're very untethered. And so writing sort of grounded me in a certain way. I just, I didn't know that. But when I did it, I went, oh, I feel better now. And so I wrote the scene of what happened. And it captured my trip in a certain way. And it was very personal to me. And so I did that for like 10 years. I would just write the stuff. And I'd come home. I'd throw it in a drawer. And I'd forget about it. And then, you know, continue acting and all this. But when I'd travel, I would write this stuff down of my encounters with people. And I was an actor, so I know scenes, I know dialogue, I know good, I've said so much bad dialogue, I know good dialogue when I hear it. So I'd hear a good quote, I'd write it down, and then eventually I kind of thought, no, but none of the magazines or travel stuff I'm reading is capturing the personal experience that I'm having. I could do this, and so I met an you editor. You thought that they didn't capture They did not, no. They're writing about places and stuff, and I'm like, that's not what travel is. Travel is... And why would you describe their I mean, angle? What were they doing? Well, they were doing? trying to sell stuff. Exactly. So they're you think it was just completely stuff. about marketing. Yeah, in essence. And so I was found travel much more internal, personal, private experience. I'm, you, you know, I think Paul Did Theroux, you read a lot of... What was I going to yeah, say? Did Paul, you read a lot of literature from people yeah, who Paul were Theroux's traveling? Yeah, books really changed my life. He, his notion that... You know, go, go far, go alone, don't come back for a long time. I found inspiring and absolutely correct. And so 
that notion, I think he said, you know, a travel, any kind of good travel literature is ultimately about the traveler, not the destination. And so that's what interested me and how the universal things that were happening to me when I would talk about the emotional kind of things that were happening to me when traveling, when I would communicate that to a person, they go, yeah, that's real. Yeah, I feel that way. Or, and so that is what's of interest. You're trying to find that moment of connection and identification with somebody, not talking about a place. And so I started writing for magazines about that. When did that premiere? What was the first one? That was in 2004 I wrote my so first So not that article. long ago. Yeah, like eight years ago. That was for who? The National Geographic Traveler magazine. Really? Yeah, I met the editor. I knew somebody knew him. I, met, I asked to meet him. And we met in a bar in the East Village. And I said, you know, you ought to let me write for your magazine. And he said, you're an actor, dude. I'm like, yeah, but I, I know how to travel and I know how to tell a story because that's what I do. And nothing I'm reading is capturing the essence of why we travel. Nothing. And so nothing that I was reading. Right. And so, so he said, that's a good answer. And uh, after a year or so, he said, uh, this is you know, a while ago. And after a year of cajoling and pressuring him and emailing and badgering him, he sent me for a story. I said, look, if it doesn't work, just don't pay me. And he said, yeah, okay, I can do that. So I, wrote his, I went to Ireland, and I wrote a story, and, you know, it worked. And then, don't tell people in the movie business that. Yeah, if right. it doesn't work, don't pay me. <laughs> yeah. But it, again, it was the same kind of thing that acting sort of, I want to do this. I don't know why. It just touches something in me. It's, it, I feel like me when I do it. That's what I most like in the world is feeling like myself. So I want to do that. And so it worked out. I did another one. I did another one. Then he was like, I kept bombarding him with, you know, pitches and things. And he goes, look, here, talk to these other people. Go bother them. And so I did that. And I also knew in a way that I didn't when I was acting that I wanted, by the time I was sort of outed as being, wait, the guy from Pretty in Pink's a travel writer. By the time I was outed for that, I wanted to have written for a lot of good publications so that I wasn't easily dismissed. Did you find that there was any sense of people, uh, Playing that note with you, the guy from Pretty in Pink as a travel writer? Not initially, because most of it's done by email. I didn't meet many editors. Right. And so I'm just writing. And then finally, a magazine I wrote for knew. And they, when the magazine came out, they said, We sent Andrew Bratpacker, Andrew McCarthy to Ethiopia, and he got arrested. Read about it in our magazine. I got arrested writing this story. And so it was a good lead. So I put it in the story. And so then I was suddenly, my two worlds collided, but by then I'd written for, you know, the New York Times, the Atlantic, the National Geographic, so I had a stable body of work under me where I wasn't so quickly dismissed. But yes, to answer your question, I still encounter it all the time, people going, thinking I'm some kind of interloper or dilettante. But I think what's interesting, as much as anyone I've met in this business, and I've only met you a handful of times, you're someone who, whatever people want to say your uh, persona is from those films, you're so different in person from your persona in those films. I mean, where, where, those, where those films are, uh, what's the word, high concept. You know, I mean, all those Brat Pack mm. films are very high concept and very amorphous kind of, and, and the, the characters are, everybody's I mean, doing their own thing. Want, yeah, I mean, there's certain aspects it's a personality of characters thing. that very much suited me, which is why I was successful in them. And yet, I mean, would anybody want to be labeled forever as what they did when they were 21 years old. No, I mean, no, you of course and change. And and It's not it, that I even mind it. It's just that it catches people unawares. They didn't know they'd locked me in that box. And then I meet them and go, oh, you're, huh, oh, okay. When I meet you per- in person, you're every inch a person who I would give a contract to write for a magazine and have direct my TV show or my movie. Right. Yeah. So usually when I meet people, they get over it quickly. Right. And if they don't, it's <laughs> usually their insecurity and their problem. And I can recognize that very quickly as you, you know, you can very instant. And so I, life is too short and I go yeah. elsewhere. Do you find that this is the role where you're out there and it's a bit of a public thing for you. You know what I mean? You're well, out it's there. it's become and, one. Right. But um, I, I found and it And you much, like this role. It's much less a role than 
Well, that's an interesting thing about it. Is it know, like a role? It's not like a role. It's more just me. Um, that's what people, I've been doing a lot of publicity for this book, and people say, what's the difference between doing publicity for your book and, you know, movie publicity or a junket? I go, well, movie junket or any kind of movie publicity or television acting publicity, you're presenting still. You're behind it, and you're talking about the role. When you're, you're, certain, you're adopting a certain persona. Whereas with, when you're, I'm talking about this book that I've written, it's much more just like, as a friend of mine says, well, you've written a memoir, now your ass is hanging out. I mean, it's just me, and I'm sort of being the book, which is very open in a certain way, so I find it much more vulnerable. You think your ass is hanging out with this book? Yeah, much more so than certainly with acting, yeah. How so? I mean, the book's much more sort of memoir than travel book. It's much more sort of that internal journey that happens when we travel as opposed to the external. But you don't feel that writer is a role you're playing now. You don't, you don't look at it as a role you're playing, the role of writer. No, I, I found writing a relief when I found it because I felt like I was, you know, would, would, so I don't particularly feel like it's a role. I feel the certain similarity in acting towards a, in acting you have a certain skill, tool chest, and in writing you have also a certain tool chest um, that you need to apply to create what you want to create. And I feel like I have more of a one in acting because I've done it longer. So, you know, inspirations, you know, inspiration in acting happens very rarely. Most of the time you're laying brick. So, But I mean, the reason I ask this is because when the acting thing, which is also just, you know, what we ended up doing, when you do that and it works well, it feels a certain way. Yeah, it's a great and feeling. Then it's a great feeling. And then it's when a you, similar feeling when I write something. I, I'm writing well, I a sentence is, and I don't know where that right. sentence is going to end and I'm typing and I don't know where the sentence is going to end. And there, there it is. That's a thrill. It's so the same so, thrill so I get when you nail a close-up and that moment happens in the close-up between us. Like, ah, Jesus. So is, what, yeah. I'm, what I guess yeah. what I'm asking is, is this where you are more reliably getting that thrill than you did from acting? Can you count on this more to give you the, at least the opportunity for that thrill for well, that Well, I'm getting received at it in uh, the— I, I, Quite well, I think. Yeah, more so than I am in acting in a certain way. So I'm, that's where my jazz is coming from now because I'm getting the opportunity. And it's also something I can create my own opportunity here with the writing because I just do it. And because I've been successful at it, I'm getting more opportunity to do it. Whereas acting, you know, you're waiting for somebody to give you the chance to do it. But it's also that moment of connection that you have. Like we're having a conversation and suddenly it sparks and we feel connected. And you go, ah! And so you have that human instant. Um, for you, uh, do you feel like... Tomorrow, if there's a great role, you know, is acting still alive for you? Mm, You're gonna very stay much at it. so. I mean, but I, I, like we just said, I, I suppose the jazz is coming from writing because that's where the opportunity is coming at the moment. But I, in a certain way, they, it doesn't matter. They're the same thing because what you're talking about and what I feel, I need to sort of. I hate the word, but like create every day. It doesn't even have to be good creativity or bad creativity. I have to feel, in essence, that's how I locate myself by em employing creativity in my life. I mean, I don't lay bricks. I don't turn widgets. I, that's how I, that's what I do. That's how, who I am. And so that's how I find myself. And so I need to, I find if I can do that every day, then I'm, I'm in a better mood, you know? And it does, again, it doesn't have to be good or something anybody sees, but, and so writing is one of those things where I can do that, you know, on a regular basis that is cumulative and feels substantive and feels like I've spent my time well. So describe for people, if you would, one observation or one instance of where your ass is hanging out in the book? What was something you wanted to deal with in the book and talk about in the book that was important to you to communicate to readers? Well, I mean, I, I suppose I wanted to just communicate the humanness. And like, it, I wasn't writing a book Specifically about, how? This is what I felt and why I, uh, you know, I, 
I, the book is an odd paradox. I, I, the book's really about trying to come to terms with someone that I loved and to get married by leaving and going as far away from them as I could possibly get. That's what the, the book, the essence of the book is how do we find intimacy with people and yet still maintain our own singularity. And Have you succeeded in that, do you think? Well, you know, day at a time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, I, I, it's something I hadn't read about, and it's something I hadn't seen people grappling with. And I'm very sort of singular and solitary in a lot of ways, and yet I love the, now my wife and my kids desperately in a painful way. And how do you reconcile those two things? And I wanted to find an answer for that as much as I could, or at least I wanted to put the question on the table and go, this exists for me. Maybe it exists for other people, too, where I... I hate you how much I love you. How am I going to reconcile that with me wanting to be sure. alone and my I hate way? how much I need you. I don't know if it's need, but it's how or much I want. love you, how yeah. much I'm making myself vulnerable to be slammed by you. And yet that's the only game in town. I have to do that. I've given that. you this power over me. To, yeah. yeah, to let you could stab me here. Yeah, and, you could hurt me. And But that's the only viable game in town. And how does someone who desperately wants to run away deal with that and knowing that's the only game in town? So so it was a, just a conflict and a sort of push-pull that I wanted to wrangle with. And so to, to wrangle with that, I had to expose myself in doing that. What and, did your wife think about the book? Well, she likes how it ended. You know, we got married. So, I mean, <laughs> but uh, she knows who I am, and so she knew it. She knew it all before. She'd heard yeah. it all. And, you know, when you're writing that great but Joe Gideon line. when you Gideon see it in print. Line, well, it's different. It's different, and everything's different in print. You know, that Grange Odinian line, I'm misquoting that um, she said, you know, I write to know what I'm thinking. You know, I, I've said that I travel to find out what I'm feeling, and I write to figure it out. Again, but when you, like you said, when you see something in print, it's very different. I write in the book a lot about my relationship with my father, which surprised me. I didn't know I was going to be writing about that. And then consequently, being a, being a son and being a father. And my relationship with my father was not great or close. Is he and, alive? Mm, he is, yeah. And Is it, is it better? It's, it has an amicable distance and affection now that it didn't have. You know, I was afraid of my father very much. And then... Do you come I, from a large family? I have three brothers. So there were four boys. And now we have... I have great affection for him. We're not particularly close right. in any way. But, and I, I feel that lack. I feel that, that... Did you say that in the book? Yes. How yes. did he respond to that? I don't know did that he? he's read it. Right. But it, it, I found the writing of the book made me feel more affectionate toward my father in a certain way. And, and that it's in print and... It dissolved a lot of the sort of stress between us, you know, on my part anyway. Again, I don't know what his reaction is. I find that for me, you know, I have a child, and aside from uh, uh, my specific relationship with her, just parenting in general, the great reality is that you look and see what the boundaries and the nature of it was of your own relationship with your parents, and therefore you must accept that the same is true in their eyes. Uh, but, but at least now... I look at, like, my mother, I understand her better. You know, it's mm. similar to your dad. I look at my mom and I go, well, she was this way and this way, and she was an animal trainer with uh, four sons and two daughters. I get it. I understand her better. I mean, I heard someone once say, you know, I was an event in my parents' life. I wasn't the event. <sighs> and I went, wow. That makes, you know. But, yes, I have this idea of how I think my son and my relationship is, and my daughter, my, it is still with my daughter because she's only six, but my son is becoming, he's 10 now, and he's becoming cool. And I went up to his classroom today, and he was mortified that I came up to his class. Dad, what are you doing here? God. Get out of here. And Go write a book. Again, I'm, I'm already, I'm something he's <laughs> embarrassed of already. And I'm like, wow, yeah, that's starting to happen. But interestingly, my son, I always tried to protect my kids from this acting person and people come up to me for an autograph and I have a picture taken and I would always kind of say well I'm with my family right now I'd rather not if you don't mind whereas other times I'd be fine too and it, this summer we were in Wyoming 
camping, family camping trip, but we were in a diner, and I was with my son, and the woman comes up to me, the waitress, and she says, are you from the mannequin? I'm like, yeah, hi, hi. And so suddenly it's big news in the diner that they go, oh, and weekend at Bernie's, and, you know, so yeah, there's nowhere to run, and I, we take our pictures and sign our autographs and have the chats, and my son is sitting next to me the whole time, and I, I turned to him afterward, and I said, Sam, how did that, um, how did that make you feel that, you know, and uh, how, how was that for you? And he said, oh, Dad, I was so proud and I got tears in my eyes. I realized wow. I've done everything wrong trying to protect my kid yeah. from this because I, I thought I, I should be protecting him so he wouldn't resent it or think of something he's different than other kids or his dad's different and weird. But he just saw a certain part of me that I hadn't, that I'd withheld from him. That was a very important part of me that right. I shouldn't have been withholding yeah, all this time. Yeah, there was time. no point in that. So it's interesting. I mean, you think you're doing all these kind of things and who the hell knows. The last thing I want to ask you is... Um, you said it's not it's the journey and not the destination and would you say that you are I, I don't I hate this word but would you say that you're content and you're happy where you are now uh interesting uh, I'm I you know the director in me is always going what's next what's next this shot's good but what shot am I doing next so I'm I love the travel writing I, I enjoyed having to bring this book Fourth, you know, and creating that, that was the next challenge. But I'm always sort of looking for what's the next sort of challenge to do and what's the next thing to do. I mean, content, my content, you know, I don't, I'd be hard pressed to say. I'm screenwriting? Have you done any screenwriting? I've kept them separate for, I think I've had so many disappointments and so much baggage involved with acting, and I know what happens to screenplays so much that I, I haven't done that at all yet. Um, you know, I'm too protective of my words, you know, in a certain way to have them just ravaged like that without right. care. Uh, right. More books? Well, yeah, I have another an idea for another book. I have a novel that I've almost finished. So there's more I'd like to do in there. There's more I'd like to do acting uh, again. You know, like I say, that sort of come back into my life in a way of desire again. So, uh, But I wouldn't say content, you know, but I'm pleased to feel sort of vital in myself in a certain way. Andrew McCarthy. His book is called The Longest Way Home, One Man's Quest for the Courage to Settle Down. Next month, you can see him in his latest project, a movie called Christmas Dance. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? 
Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.